Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and in fact, all small businesses, and we're heard right around the world at this same time every week. I want to thank you for making us the number one business show in the world for entrepreneurs. We've continued to have fantastic feedback from our predictions segment. I must admit I'm amazed with just how many people are interested in what might happen in the future. Last week, I looked at predictions about the world in 2030, and the response was just tremendous. I said that, in my view, the institutions of business, education, banking, and government, they're mired in the past, in fact, in the last century, and they can't possibly cope with the changes that will occur over the next 20 years. And I think this will lead to a revolution in the way countries are governed, people are educated, and business is structured. So this week, I thought I'd give you another couple of predictions for the year 2030. In 2030, armed robots will be much superior to regular soldiers in their fighting capacity in every way. They'll have more endurance, more accuracy, and cannot be beaten by conventional firearms. The U.S. Marines will no longer base recruitment on physical ability. They'll look only at intelligence and technical ability. Well, if we still have to have wars, which seems pretty bloody stupid to me, but if we do have to have them, I'd rather we kill the few robots. Makes much, much more sense. The second prediction is that supersonic jets will fly from New York to Rio in two hours, Sydney to London in four hours, and from leaving my home in Los Angeles to arriving in New York will be less than an hour. Now you are talking. I feel like Thai for lunch. What time does the next flight leave? That really works for me. Uh, interestingly, I was talking a couple of weeks ago about um, Elon Musk and his plans for the um, train that runs on electromagnetic forces from Los Angeles to New York to get there in 21 minutes. I mean, that's, it's all going to happen, folks. Who would have thought that we'd have driverless cars? The third prediction for 2030 is that simple medical devices will be able to scan your entire body and diagnose 95% of all diseases instantly. It's likely to be the size of a small suitcase, transportable, and you'll get an MRI scan and a 3D reconstruction of the image, as well as providing routine blood tests and all of those sorts of things instantly. Now, last prediction, I think, for today is one that is really scary. We're all familiar with the expression, I can't read your mind. You know, wives usually say that, don't they? I can't read your mind. Well, by 2030, you'll be able to. Neuroscientists are finding ways to read people's mind with machines, and by 2030, 
translating electrical activity from the brain by means of decoding brain waves that'll be commonplace. This will enable people to actually have access to your innermost thoughts. <laughs> oh, we sounds like fun. You can see a lot of slap faces happening. <laughs> And uh, avatars will take an active role as replacements for living, breathing human beings. They'll look like humans, feel like humans, and think like humans. And living with second life surrogates is likely to be common for all of us. Now, I find that really scary, except you'll save a hell of a lot of money on alimony. Here's a quart of oil. Go away. That works for me. Another prediction that I find scary but obvious concerns young people. And when you think about this, you can actually see it beginning to happen around the world. The young people of 2030 will be highly technically savvy, which they are now, totally interconnected. I speak for a living. <laughs> totally interconnected and most likely unemployed and poor. In 20 years' time, there'll be even less employment. Probably the world will be in recession or at least... The economies will be stagnant. There's going to be less opportunity and youth will be really starting to agitate. And it won't matter whether you've got five degrees or whether you're unemployed. You'll probably be without too many prospects. This will open the world to technological and infrastructure sabotage. It could be a computer massacre out there. Okay, that's enough predictions. Next week, we'll find a new topic to dazzle and amaze you and hopefully stimulate you to interact with the program like you have with the predictions topic. On the subject of technology, the four-person startup Androidly has created a fully-fledged smartphone that you wear on your wrist, just like a watch. Sure, there are already smart watches out there that complement your smartphone by displaying they display texts, they display, tell you about tweets, etc. But the difference with Androidly is that it can function entirely on its own. It can run apps. Uh, it can replace your phone. It can replace your internet. It can do all of that on your risk. wrist. And Androidly co-founder Pavneet Puri says... You never have to worry about where your phone is. It's like an extended limb. The Androidly watch is currently available for pre-order at prices ranging from 229 to 269 and will start shipping in September. Dick Tracy is here. We often speak on this program about things that you need to do in order to excite an investor about your product project. The latest figures I saw this week suggest that only about six projects out of a thousand actually get investment. That's worse than I had ever projected. It also said that only 5% of business plans are read past the first two pages, less than 10% of projects pass the initial screening, and even worse, less than 8% of the 10% that pass the initial screening actually pass due diligence. That's eight projects out of a thousand that pass due diligence, and only a few of those get funded. Wow, makes it a bloody tough market out there for investment. And there's a reason for this, of course. I've got to tell you about a business plan that I received this week from a company in England that was looking for funding. 
and this is his business plan. In the first two paragraphs, this entrepreneur said, So far, I've assisted in setting up two companies. One is still going after a year. Wow! (laughs) I'm excited about putting money in his company. Since I was little, I've wanted to have my own company. That's another red flag, I reckon. I spend all day and all my free time researching what is needed to make a company run profitably. Bloody hell. And his last one is, and when we make a profit, I want to put my money back into the local community. Well, let me invest in your company, but hang on, second thoughts, why don't I just give it to the community? God, every single one of those statements would make an investor run a mile. It makes the entrepreneur look totally incompetent. And we've spoken an awful lot on this program over the last few months about business growth and social media. Word of mouth marketing is by far the most successful way to build a business and reduce costs. And it's getting a technological makeover. And that makeover is called social media. Hands down, it's the most powerful tool that any business owner can use to engage customers and drive revenue growth. Staples recently released the results of a small business and social media study where it gave businesses the choice of a Facebook page, a Super Bowl ad, or a celebrity endorsement. 41% chose Facebook. And that's because of small businesses who use social media and track their ROI. 76% of those businesses say they received a positive return on their social media efforts. That is an extraordinary result. Compare that with only 25% of people who think they've done well from traditional media. So 76% from Facebook and social media and 25% from real media. So word of mouth today consists of shares, likes, retweets. Social business, small business cannot afford to ignore social media. It drives traffic, growth and revenue. And next week, I'm going to give you a few tips on how to join the social media conversation. But don't forget, like any form of marketing, you need to keep track of the results and the return on investment, both in terms of money and how much time you put into it. Because social media mightn't cost you much money, but it certainly uses a hell of a lot of time. And, you know, common metrics include likes, shares, and followers. But remember, if you're using social media for marketing, every social interaction should be making you money. If you're not getting results by increased revenue, it means that you're not effectively engaging your audience, and then it's time to reassess your methods and try a new approach. Don't forget, this program's all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person. You're looking for tips on how to become more successful. This is the place you get it. This is what we're here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you've got a question, don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or email you directly. For listeners all over the world, we thank you for listening. My first guest today is El Genie. He's a professor of business ethics and chair of the Department of Management in the Quinlan School of Business at Loyola University in Chicago. He is a great guy. It's a good interview. We talk a lot about presidents. So 
I think you'll be interested in that. We also have another Make Your Pitch segment where we talk to the directors of Firefly Capital Management. They're a fund management that only invests in apps and is producing a return of 52%. Only investing in apps and producing an annual return of 50%, 52%. They've got a great story to tell. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with you in just a couple of minutes with my interview with Al. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to entrepreneurs, successful business leaders, best-selling authors and academics, people who are influencing tomorrow's business leaders. And with the rapid change in how business is done and globalization and the dynamic technology environment that I don't know how anybody keeps up with, it is very difficult to stay abreast and in tune with what's really happening out there in the marketplace. But some things never change. And by speaking to these leaders, we can get a direct insight into the direction and the ethics that we need to have in order to maximise our business success. Today I'm speaking with Al Gini, who is Professor of Business Ethics and Chair of the Department of Management in the Quinlan School of Business at Loyola University in Chicago. He's also the co-founder and long-time associate editor of Business Ethics Quarterly, which is the Journal of the Society for Business Ethics. And for over 26 years... Al's been the resident philosopher on the Geek Channel, National Public Radio's Chicago affiliate, WBEZ-FM, and he regularly lectures to community and professional organisations on the issues of business and ethics. He's a best-selling author. He's got more books to his name than I care to mention. He must have a lot of time on his hands because I've written five books and I find it a laborious pain in the neck, but he just churns them out. And I love his titles. He's got one called The Importance of Being Lazy in Praise of Play, Leisure and Vacations, The Ten Virtues of Outstanding Leaders with Ron M. Green. But the one I love 
and this guy's got to be pretty confident of his stuff. One of his book titles is called God Can Quote Me On That. Wow. <laughs> I mean, if there, if there really is one and you've got to go up there and stand in front of him at the pearly gates or whatever and explain why you why used his name in this way, he may have a problem. Hi, Al. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thank you very, very much. What a handsome introduction. And by the way, the title was tongue-in-cheek. It was not my choosing. My editor thought it would sell more. And as Hume suggested, the book the book fell a stillborn from the press. So it didn't sell at all. And I guess God had the last laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, we, we hear the term leadership all the time. And these yeah. days, everywhere you go, people talk about good leaders, great leaders, and what a huge difference it is if you have a Jack Welsh at the helm. Mm-hmm. But um, what really is leadership? Well, you know, that's the $4 million question. Uh, Ron Green, my co-author, and I have been studying this together separately for about 35 years. Right. And, you know, when you ask any group of people, can you define a leader or can you name a leader? Boy, they immediately pick out, you know, will point out five or six that they really love and pick out five or six that they really hate. And they're very, very clear about who these people are. And then you ask them, well, you know, um, what do you like about them? And they give various reasons for various leaders. And, and you realize after studying this a while, there is no single definition of leadership and there is no single model of leadership. Rather, we, you know, we grade leaders as good or bad depending on chance, time, place, specific circumstances, their unique personalities, and if they were successful in how they handled it. For example, the classic American example, would would we love Abraham Lincoln the way we venerate Lincoln kind of as our secular saint? Had he lost the war and the, and the slaves not been freed, would we have said, oh yes, still a great man, he had the right moral vision, but he failed? I think not. Uh, we wouldn't have condemned him. So I think that it's very, very difficult uh, to understand leadership, and yet we're a society obsessed with leaders. Yeah, we are. You know, we make rock stars out of, of our leaders. In America, you know, um, the, the, the only person who gets more coverage in the press besides President Obama is President Clinton, you know, yeah. and he's been gone for quite a while, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. And yet he's Mr. Everything. He made an impact when he was there, though. <laughs> They made him back when he was there in, in many different in many different ways, and and has become this great former president. And I thought Jimmy Carter would keep that title forever and ever and ever, but but not quite. And that's also true in regard to who's in charge in business. You know, uh, who, uh, who's making the most money? There was just a, a write up in the New York Times in America this last week about this incredible amount of money, more than four hundred and fifty times uh, four hundred fifty times more than the average well paid employee. Some of these people are walking away with thirty, forty to eighty million dollars a year as a CEO, but most people say, "Well, as long as they're producing, as long as they're doing it." So we are in love with them, but when we're asked to say, "Can you?" Well, then how do we duplicate them? How do we make them? Nobody's quite sure. Well, if, it's interesting because if you look at um, Jack Welsh, Jack Welsh was obviously a great leader and very disciplined and all of those traits, and you compare him with, say. Um, Steve Jobs, who's mm-hmm. recognised as a great leader, yet it seems that, from all we know, as a CEO, he was pretty lousy. But yeah, he, yeah. But he actually had great leadership abilities in that I saw him once and uh, you had a feeling 
after the presentation was over that if he said, come on, we're all going to jump off the Grand Canyon, that the 5,000 people in the room would have followed him along and jumped yeah, off yeah. the Grand Canyon. No, I, I agree with you. And that's, those are wonderful examples. Um, first of all, I think there's, um, that there's no such thing as a perfect leader. There's also morally flawed leaders. That is, you don't have all the virtues you want. And Steve Jobs was a failed CEO in his first time around, but came back to be this creative, insightful, kind of genius CEO um, the second time around. Yeah. And he did have flaws, and he was difficult, you know. Uh, he didn't suffer fools gladly. Yeah. But he did persevere. He had a degree of dignity that uh, that was there. He had a degree of, um, of understanding aesthetics that was there. Jack Walsh... Now, wonderful story. I, I worked for him a couple of times, and it was when you walked into the room with him, you know, you had, there was no oxygen left for you to breathe. This, yeah. The dynamic man. But there's a story about after he resigned and um, before the kind of minor scandal uh, that arose about right. his uh, yeah. divorce, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, you know, he, he was at some function uh, a year or two afterwards with uh, some of his former executives. He said, Well, I really miss you guys. And they said, Oh, yeah, we really miss you too. He says, I especially miss the Saturdays, you know, because you make them come in. And then they would go golfing, and then they would have a long lunch, talk business, and then they would go home at 3 or 4 o'clock. Yeah. And they all said, we don't miss that at all, Jack. He said, what do you mean? He <laughs> says, well, we, we, we played golf. We were bonding. He said, Jack, that was work. Yeah. How do we say no to you? Yeah. You know, we wanted, we wanted some downtime. <laughs> and yet they persevered at certain levels. I think uh, I want to go back to some definition of leadership um, a little bit, too, because I think you give parameters rather than exact definitions. I think there are morally blemished leaders. That is, they're very, very good at what they do. Yeah. And in the end, they're good. But they're imperfect. I mean, and I think the Jack Welches and, and uh, certainly the Steve Jobs are a perfect example of that, okay? That they both have had a, a journey, to, journey to maturity, right? Right. Then there are the great leaders who suddenly, um, who suddenly are, you know, great their whole lives and suddenly there's a moral blemish that completely undoes them. Yeah. And I think we have to say in America, Joe Paterno. Absolutely. I know the famous coach, uh, the famous coach yep. of Penn State. Great man. Now, could it have been senility that he didn't, gra they didn't grasp what's going on? Could it, could have been a terrible cover up because he didn't want his empire to be assailed, so on and so forth. It's not clear, but I think the university did the right thing by taking down a statue, by, by, yeah, uh, you know, by r removing his records, because he was a great man and, and flawed at the end. Now I'm not damning him, but I'm saying, you know, and everyone's flawed. And lastly, the moral leader who has it all, and I'm not sure there is such a thing, but we want to believe them, like a Lincoln, for example. But do we really know Lincoln, even though there's been over sixteen thousand books written about him? Because he's such a martyr, such an icon. Can we really know him? But certainly as we speak, Nelson Mandela is dying. Yes. And if Nelson Mandela isn't the iconic figure that we're talking about, even with his imperfections as a younger man, as a ladies' man, if you will, yeah. um, that uh, he is truly a, a man of... He's uh, absolutely of remarkable. It's just such a, an incredible icon of, of what can be achieved with... And, with and real, real and integrity... At real integrity at a philosophical level, I love the one statement. Uh, he always referred to prison as the university. Right. Because he said that's where he became a human being. Yeah. That's where he became a, you know, a real person. That's where he developed integrity. Do, I want to back up. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Please, go ahead. I, I, I was just digressing just for a second. Do alpha leaders all, because of their very nature of their personality, all have um, sort of sexual peccadillos in their in their repertoire that brings them undone sooner or later? 
Is well, you know, I, I never quote Henry Kissinger, but Kissinger is right. Power is the true aphrodisiac. Yeah. And and I think it is true that uh, you begin to you begin to lose perspective. What's possible, what's not possible, what you can have and what you can't have. Now, according to James Collins, you know, he says it isn't alphas. You know, you know the, the great leaders who to take companies from being good to great are very very. Um, you know, kind of step, they step back from the front light. They're totally competent. They're totally committed. They're people of character, but they don't have charisma. They don't want to follow the charisma. They don't need to be a celebrity. They simply do their job. And these people are kind of Harvey Milk toast in comparison to the, you know, even the Bill Clintons of the world. As much, I used to kid my Republican, um, father-in-law as much as you hate him he says you never made more money in your life right? yeah. Yeah, but imagine if there wasn't a monica in his life imagine what he could have done oh absolutely derailed him and and diffused his presidency yep i agree yeah it's a shame um, but doesn't every company whether it's a ceo or whether it's chief development officer or something yeah. doesn't every company that becomes great need a charismatic um walk people off the cliff leader right well that's what james counts in his book that sold more copies than god created you know in the universe <laughs> and, and translated to every language including apache to steal someone else's line and whom i personally hate or i'm personally jealous of of course because of his impact and his importance in the field says no um, that you don't need a charismatic leader. But I think he means charismatic, the big C celebrity, iconic figure who, um, you know, who, who can walk on water and needs to be in the spotlight, needs to be celebrated, needs to be at events, needs to be in the Rotary Reviewer section of the New York Times or the, or the London Times, you know, every weekend. But I also think he means by charisma, he also understands charisma to be small C. And and at the very least, effective leaders have to communicate well. Right. And I think effective leaders, all effective leaders, have to communicate well. They have to be charismatic in the sense that they are articulate, and and people understand their message. Yeah. We all know the worst boss we ever had was the one who never said anything until something went wrong. Right. And you never knew where you stood. Yeah. So I, but but I'm much more of the large C. I think you need the articulate. Philosophical. I mean, by that yep, philosophical, there not in the formal academic sense, but rather the person who's reflective about issues larger than the immediate thing on the burner. Yep. I think you need someone in an age of social media who can stand in front of a camera and do it. Not, you know, not simply being a pretty face or not simply being a great actor as Ronald Reagan was. I mean, the great communicator, we called him Yeah. Uh, in America. Um, I wasn't sure about the depth of his perspective, but he certainly communicated a very clear message. And, have you, and that was getting off the subject. Have you been yeah. to the um, uh, Ronald Reagan library? No, I have not. It's really interesting. No, I was never a Ronald Reagan fan. Well, I've never been a Republican fan, but I've never been a Ronald Reagan fan yet. Having spent a day at the at the library and going through a whole lot of material, I actually came out thinking, you know, this guy was smarter than I ever gave him credit for, and in a, in in, to in total, he wasn't a bad sort of a president. So, no, in, in retrospect, right now he's a kind of a conservative Democrat, and he yeah, well, <laughs> so it's very, very everybody's a very Democrat good. now compared with <laughs> this right, right, no, 78 absolutely, seventy eight guys mean, that are in there now. 
for me, one of the negative icons of the presidency is Richard Nixon. And, you know, the, the joke sure. I tell my yeah. advanced students is that once a year, go to Whittier to make sure he's still dead and buried. <laughs> and, and, and my problem with him is his character flaw and his narcissism, uh, but his politics, in retrospect, pretty clear, you know, uh, much better than you think. Yeah. But there's this wonderful line in the play of Frost and Nixon. And it's in and Nixon said this to a number of people. He says, you know, it's very strange that uh, I wound up in politics because I'm not really comfortable with people. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a marvelous statement. So I think the charismatic leader, Bill Clinton, for all of his problems, is incredibly intelligent yeah. and a real popular, uh, and really a, 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 a real believer in the polls. Walked into a crowd, started shaking hands, made you feel like you were the, and he did that to me yeah. a couple of times in receptions, yeah. that I was um, you know, the, the only person there. The yeah. Right. And, but he had this special gift. I think you need, I think Mr. Obama is damned by saying he's too professorial. He's too logical. Well, listen to some of his speeches. He's also a very good black preacher when he has to be. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I think you need a good communicator. I think FDR's great, great contribution to this society and saved capitalism in some senses. He talked a good game, even when he wasn't sure what he was doing. Yeah, I'm good at that. Um, in all walks of life, we're, we're constantly told that we can learn from our mistakes. And that yeah. sounds good. But if somebody's really a lousy leader or misleader, um, how can we really learn from them? Can't we learn a hell of a lot more from the good ones? Well, that's a great question, and in our book that we really spend a lot of time, 10 Virtues of Outstanding Leaders, after we say what leadership is, the next chapter is, what's a bad leader? Yeah. And our argument, I think, is pretty clear. We always hold up the Lincolns of the world, the Washingtons of the world, the Mandelas of the world, and how could we not, right? right. I mean, of sure. course. Absolutely. But I, but I, and, and in leadership studies for years and years, you were never supposed to mention Hitler, because Hitler was so bad that that wasn't real leadership because it was immoral. Well, of course it was leadership. The man changed the face of the 20th and the 21st century. Absolutely. Of course it was leadership. And of course, of course it was leadership. Of course he had charisma. Of course he was crazy. Of course he was a sociopath. Of course he was a narcissist. Of course he was a very effective leader, at least for 13 years. I think it's really important to understand the thousand-year Reich didn't make it 13 years. Yeah. But he changed the face of the planet and brought shall we say as a small figure, 150 million people to their death. Yeah. Um, so I think we need, we make a mistake, even talking about Nixon. I think we need to look at the bad leaders as well as the good leaders. Because don't you want to know, you know, it's, it's like going to medical school and only studying health. Yeah. What is that going to do here? You have to study disease and understand what disease is, understands how it came to be, what its symptoms are, what its what possible effects and the possible cures in order to absolve it. Yes. So I think we need to study bad leaders as closely as good leaders. Now, the model of our book is ancient. It's Greek. It's Aristotelian. That we really do not learn uh, wisdom or virtue from, uh, from reading the textbook. We learn it from the conduct of others. Right. And the witness of others. So yes, I think we need to look at the Mandelas of the world. But yes, I think we need to look at um, um, uh, Robert Mugambi in, in Zimbabwe right now. Why yeah. an 89-year-old man still thinks, who went from being a patriot, um, a, a revolutionary, to a, um, a, a constitution builder, um, you know, a, a, a parliamentarian, a president, into a demagogue and a tyrant and a yeah. dictator. And a miserable piece um, of work. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and ruined perhaps a country that could feed all of Central Africa. Yeah, you know, no, uh, I just agree. an amazing. Um, and and so we wonder what got him there, what happened there. I think it's important. Otherwise, you duplicate the errors. You know, George Santa Anna. I'm paraphrasing right now because um, it, it, people misstate it all the time. Those who do not learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat it in the future. Sure. And I think that we need to look at how did Richard Nixon, and he, putting everything aside, and already saying, I like his politics now, overall, okay? I just came back yeah. from China. If it wasn't for Nixon, in some sense, yeah, he'd be someplace, trying to be someplace else right now. Yeah. And that's really an important fact to remember. He gave us a great deal, and if you, there's a wonderful book out on the presidential friendships that all the presidents uh, since, since he left office saw him, even if it was privately, because they knew he was a fountain of wisdom or experience. Right. Um, Richard Nixon, I want to know what led this man who was going to win this campaign, the second election, no matter what, um, against George McGovern, what led him to allow his, his attorney general, his chief of staff, his personal counsel, sit in the, in the Oval Office and plot felonies against the Democratic Party? Yeah. What kind of narcissism, what kind of failure of, of, self, um, uh, of self led him to that? And unless we get to that, I think we're doomed to experience others like that in the future. Yeah, I think um, in a vacuum you, you make different decisions than you do when you're caught up. I, I think the problem with the White House is that it's such so insular if you're the president. Um, yeah, yeah. That... Um, you're getting fed all the stuff that um, the people immediately. Well, I think around. that's always the power of leadership. You know, Louis the Fourteenth. You know, let's state moi. I am the state. Well, well, people are starving literally across the road from Versailles. He's, you know, or, 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 or from the palaces. Um, yeah. So, I think that's always the case. I think. Um, I, I sometimes fantasize. It's a little late in the game for me. You know, if, if, if I had power, uh, I would. For years, when I thought about that. Um, I always said to myself, I'm going to hire Ron Green as my um, ambassador without portfolio, a cabinet member without portfolio, because Ron, my best friend, always tells me when I'm wrong. Right. He always tells me when he thinks I'm wrong. He always tells me when I might be wrong. He always tells me the opposite side of everything, and I think leaders need to hear that. But push comes to shove. I've been studying decision-making under Obama and um, under the last couple of presidents. You take all that in, but then you got to do it. And as Obama said, you know, he said, George Bush is right. I'm the, I'm the decider in chief. Yeah. And any given day, I could handle what's coming that's on the schedule because we've prepped for it. The problem is I wake up in the morning, there's been a tsunami, a killing, a massacre, a bombing, and now I have to stand up in front of the world and make some comment about it when I don't have all the information. Two seconds later, yeah. So how do you spot a bad leader? Uh, I think I, I think you spot a bad leader by the quality of their uh, of their followers, the quality of life of their followers. That is, uh, I think uh, my, our book um, is about the Saint Augustine that the first and final job of leadership are those that they lead, and I think you have to look at. Uh, the, the results of their leadership. You look at it in the, their state of affairs. You look at it in their peoples. And you, uh, Egypt, as we're speaking right now, may uh, enter, uh, you know, this week, Civil may go war. into a revolutionary stance, maybe a coup by, by the military. I think you have to say, and I don't want to, I don't know enough about the president of Egypt we'll right see. now, that yeah. he, he, yeah, he, did, he, he failed in his job, that the constituency is still unhappy. 
And I think that that's how you look at it. In America, in corporate America, you know, two bad years, you're gone. Yeah. It's very, it's very bottom line driven. Yeah. And I think, but but I think the model there is exactly how we measure a, a good leader. Are the constituents of that organization in better shape than they were before? Yeah, I, I have a problem with that. In that, I I worry about. Um, I think one of the things that we lack in the United States is long term planning, and the reason we lack long term planning is because. Um, Decisions are made based on what we need to do to keep our share price up next year. Yeah, all right, I, I agree with I agree with you entirely. So isn't I agree that, with isn't you that entirely. bad leadership? Isn't it? yeah, I, I agree with you, but I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a kind of a larger view. Okay, you know, now I'm being philosophical, and and I'm going to admit my feet aren't t- totally on terra firma here. <laughs> Jack Welch also wonderfully said, um, "Show me uh, the executive pay package, and I'll show you their their real philosophical perspective on success." Right, you know. They, if they get a bonus for every time the stock goes up, guess what? Stock's always going to go up if, if they can help it. I think you're absolutely right. Short term, I'm not talking about short term. I'm talking about not leadership today, tomorrow. You know, how are you doing so far this week? That's not possible. Um, but I am talking about overall. Lincoln, uh, let me make it clear. Lincoln was hated while he was president sure. by every group. <laughs> Lincoln won in a three-way race. Lincoln was vilified. Lincoln was called a monkey, an ape, to his face in the press by one of his uh, by one of his actual cabinet members. Actually, said he's a long-armed gorilla uh, <laughs> at one point. At one point in his career, he was vilified. And look how we look at him now. Yeah. So that's the kind. I think you need the perspective of time. And unfortunately, you know, in a social media world, we don't allow that, do we? No, we don't. Now, we're running out of time, but what are, quickly, what are the um, most important virtues of an outstanding leader? Just the, the, the most important ones. The most important? Well, we list 10, I think, 10, a uh, roster of 10 virtues we think are really important that expedite uh, leadership. But I really think, in, in the long run, it, um, the one that encompasses all the other nine is moral courage. That is to do the right thing for the right reason on purpose. And that means telling the truth. It means taking some, uh, taking a position that's per- perhaps unpolitical and uh, won't uh, get you reelected, but it's the right thing to do. I think it's acting for the best interests of those that you serve. I think it's remembering always um, that you are there to be of service to others. You know, in the Roman, uh, in the Roman days, when um, an emperor or a major general won a battle, they were accorded a, a victory um, uh, celebration in Rome, and part of it was that the general was um, uh, carried around Rome for an, an, an the forum and a number of places on a golden chariot led by white horses, and the driver was painted in gold. It was a slave uh, or servant, right, sure. and hold, held a laureate, a laureate over the victor's head, and and would regularly lean over and whisper in it to his ear, "Remember, man, all glory is but fleeting." Um, and I think we always have to remember that. And I think people of moral courage remember that this is not my glory, uh, that this is the glory of others, and I and I exist to serve. Uh, perhaps at another time we could talk about servant leadership and why that's important. But this has really been delightful and a pleasure being with you. Thank you very much, El. I really appreciate you being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Um, remember, and look up um, El's books. It's L A L. Ginny, G-I-N-I, and a dozen or more really great books. So next time you go to your bookstore or go to Amazon, look them up. Remember, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show is the place for interviews with the leaders and shakers 
in American business, entertainment, and sports. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment called Make Your Pitch, where we give entrepreneurs the opportunity to tell listeners about their project and solicit your help to make it come to fruition. My guests today are Nick Traculia and Jason Fitch, who are directors of Firefly Capital Management, who are really unique in that they only invest in apps. Now, you know, we all know that apps are absolutely booming with 2.5 million of them now in existence, and the most successful of these changing hands for hundreds of millions of dollars. So the return on apps is quite extraordinary. Now, this has proven to be an extremely smart move for Firefly Capital Management as last year they generated returns of over 40%, and this year they're running, I understand, at about 56% return. That is incredible compared to every other managed fund that I've ever seen um, it's a great return. Now, Nick has degrees in both business and law, with extensive experience at Minter Ellison, specialising in corporate law relating to private equity and capital mar- markets. And Jason has degrees in commerce and law, with a background at Merrill Lynch in the equity derivatives trading risk management and product finance team. So they're both really bloody smart, and they're both Lawyers, so you don't want to mess with them. <laughs> On the line to tell us about the opportunities at Firefly Capital Management are Nick Traculia and Jason Fitch. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Bob. Thanks for having us on the show today. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? I'm really great. I guess yeah. the best place to begin is to ask you, what is Firefly Capital Management and how did it begin? Well, as you mentioned, Bob, Firefly um, Capital Management is a managed investment fund um, started here in Sydney, Australia. Um, we started in August uh, last year, and as you said, we, we just recently closed um, this financial year um, at 58% um, return wow. for, for all investors, which, which we're very, very satisfied with. Um, and it really began, Jason and I um, were investing, um, were private investors in apps um, previous to starting the fund and we thought we could uh, leverage uh, this, co- uh, this whole concept um, uh, across investors um, if we did start a managed fund and since inception uh, in August last year we're, we're very happy with the results. I don't blame you. Are there any management fees, and how do, how do the profits get distributed? 
No, there are actually no management fees, Bob. So um, what we offer, uh, we believe, is um, very, very fair, especially to some of the other managed funds out there where they still charge you know, management and administrative fees, even though their returns are pretty much not up to par. So how we've decided it, um, to offer our service is a straight 50-50 split uh, with our investors at net profits. Um, we believe that to be very fair, so we're only paid purely on performance. Right. And in regards to any sort of admin fees or anything like that, uh, the, the directors of Firefly actually take on those fees themselves. Great. So what are your plans for the year ahead? Uh, so, Bob, we're, we're looking to expand into into new territories, um, you know, across, across Europe, uh, South America and, and throughout Asia. Um, we really want to uh, open up a, a lot more pipelines through those uh, regions um, and and looking looking forward to the year ahead, um, you know we're hoping to um, do a much better return um, in, in the coming year as well. Wow, I thought, just a question sort of out of left field with two and a half thousand apps, new apps every day or whatever the number is. How do you determine which apps to pick and which ones not to pick? Yeah, well, I guess we you know we've got a number of contacts in the, in the industry, Bob sure. and. Initially, we definitely had a screening process of um, you know what apps to invest in and what apps to piggyback off, and we've even got to the point where we're actually developing a number of our own apps just because we know how to you know drive all the traffic to generate revenues for our investors. So sure. we've got it down to quite an automated process. Right. Um, as you said, there are a number of apps there at the moment, so it really just comes down to experience and making those contacts to, to determine what's really going to work well and what's really creating the buzz. At the moment, um, you know, you can pick up the newspaper every second day and, um, you know, see these apps, you know, absolutely selling for ridiculous prices to, you know, some of the bigger corporations. So everyone's really starting to take note and um, yes. it actually works really well for us. Obviously, um, you know, we're pretty much the only or sort of the first fund globally to offer such a service. And, um, you know, we're really establishing that trust with our clients and, um, and looking to grow the fund. So... Would you say that the, um, the primary reason for such for fifty eight percent returns, which is incredible, is um, is your ability to pick winners? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, just the actual revenue generation strategy in, in general. I mean, we're not correlated to any other asset class, whether it be equities or property, which we believe is you know you don't want to invest in at the moment. Right. So um, right. because we don't have that, those down days or all that volatility. We're able to always um, generate a consistent return for our investors, which is um, something they look for and um, obviously been very happy with. So this show is all about getting our listeners to help you achieve your goals. So what is it that we can do? A listener out there, what can they do to help you invest in the fund, presumably? Well, Bob, um, they can go to our website, um, www.fireflycap.com. Uh, they can get some more information um, through the Contact Us page and what we'll do is we'll provide them with an information memorandum um, uh, with exactly what our fund offers uh, as well as an application form as well. Great. Jason and Nick, it was great speaking to you today on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you'd like to know more about this exciting program, I mean, 58% return, that's unheard of. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of this? You can contact Firefly Capital Management on www.fireflycap.com. Remember, this show is all about helping you, the entrepreneur. So we hope you keep listening and tell your friends about the show. 
Now, we're going to be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, no bullshit business radio show. And we're coming to you, as we do every week, from my hometown of Los Angeles, where the weather is, as usual, beautiful. As you know, this program's heard all around the world with a big audience in the United States and the top international markets where we have the most listeners are places like Germany, the United Kingdom, Vietnam, Russia, China and Australia. In addition, we have listeners in scores of other countries. So thank you all for making this a popular show. Quite a number of you have said that you like my new promotional photo on the Voice of America business .com's website, I agree with you. It's one hell of a lot better than the previous one, and it actually makes me look younger, which is a good thing. Now, this is a segment of the show where we bring you emails from our listeners all around the world, and it's incredible that um, I've mentioned this over and over again, that no matter where you are in the world, businesses have the same issues. So no matter where you are, whatever we talk about in this segment has relevance for you. This week's first email comes from Alan Matthews from Tacoma, Washington in the United States. Alan's email says, Bob, a great show. I listen every week. I loved last week's interview with Juan G. I agree with you. He came across as very focused and very smart. And I must admit, he did change my perception of a rap artist. He also showed that many of us can achieve all that we want to achieve if we're focused. Keep up the good work. Bob, I also heard your comment last week where you said that Steve Jobs believed that the most number of words that you should have on any PowerPoint slide was one. I appreciate that this statement is for effect, but I'm interested in your advice as to how to make my slide deck more memorable. The other thing you mentioned last week was that um, your comment about meeting with a Disney marketing executive who said that if you put your letterhead or logo on a wall with a 100 other letterheads or logos and you don't see yours first, it's not good enough. That's pretty simple, but it really is fantastic advice. We tried it here at our office, just with logos that we printed from the web and put them up on a wall along with ours, 
I'm ashamed to admit that we didn't see our logo fast first, probably not even in the first 10. So we made a decision right there and then to get a new logo and we've put a brief on Elance as you recommended. We haven't used Elance before, so this is a great opportunity to find out how good your advice is. I'm only kidding about that. I know your advice is good. Well, thank you, Alan. I think that's a, a compliment. I'm not sure. But I'm really pleased that you enjoy the show. We try very hard every week to do something that's interesting, educational and memorable. I'd like to think that occasionally we succeed at that. I was also really impressed with Wan G last week. He's an incredible guy. He's easy to talk to, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him in the next week or so for a, a drink or coffee or whatever. I'm also glad that you're going to update your logo. It really will make an enormous difference. If you have a powerful logo that really jumps it out at people, it does have a great effect. I'm also pleased that you're using Elance. Um, it's a phenomenal service and I use it all the time and I'm sure you'll be thrilled with the results that you get. In fact, I bet you get so many options you'll find it hard to choose. Now, while Steve Jobs may have been exaggerating to, exaggerating to make a point about the one word on a, on a PowerPoint, he had an extraordinary ability to make his PowerPoints really simple with just one or two words and a really powerful graphic. I get people sending me through presentations all the time that literally have a thousand words and 14 different graphics all crammed onto a slide. You can't read them. It's so small. There's so much jumble. They use 27 different typefaces. It is just a mess. So firstly, you don't read it. And secondly, if you do read it, you don't absorb any of it. It's just a bunch of crap on a page. So for some reason, people think they need to go into minute detail about their project or about themselves when all of that is totally irrelevant. When making a presentation, the only thing that is relevant is what is in it for your audience. You know, and that's... It, it, you just ask yourself the so what question. We've been in business for 43 years. So what? You know, um, none of that's important. My product does this. Oh, okay. You can't say no what to that. It's an important statement. So that's the one you include. Alan, when you're presenting data to people, people in your audience don't have time to read through a lot of information or absorb a lot of numbers. They need to instantly grasp the essence of what you're saying by simply looking at the title, the visuals, and the basic information. The first consideration, therefore, has got to be what do, want to, what do people want to take away from this slide? They say a picture paints a thousand words, so there's a very simple, powerful graphic that I can include somewhere that will tell the story in one image. If there's not one um, on Google Images, go and find one. Take one. I mean, it's so easy today. Just get your iPhone and go click. You also need to use a lot of contrast, a lot of colour, change your sizes and positioning and bring into focus just that exact point you're trying to make with that slide. And the most important thing to ask yourself does what I'm saying really matter to the audience? Is it crucial to the point that I'm trying to make overall? 
If not, get rid of it. In the first part of the show, I was talking about the key to creating brief and concise documents to secure investors. It's the same thing. You need to take exactly the same approach and ask yourself if every word and every sentence is absolutely essential to the result you're trying to achieve. And if it is, work on how you can say the same thing in half as many words. It's amazing what you can do when you really have to. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline. Last week, um, I tackled an email from Jeffrey Collins of Raleigh, North Carolina, and I started to answer it, and I ran out of time, and I'm probably going to run out of time again. But Jeffrey's question was about the fact that he's working with a startup where there are three partners, and he was wondering if I had any tips to help and guide entrepreneurs like him along the way. I began last week's answer by saying, I see a lot of startups that have a great business idea, create a terrific business plan, but still make simple mistakes that sink the lot. Every entrepreneur runs their business in a different way. Some are successful and 98% are unsuccessful. I explained that I didn't think that that necessarily means that one way of doing things is better than another. It really just highlights our different abilities. But I'm convinced that some people are born CEOs, born to be successful, and others are not. But when you begin a business, there are a constant stream of ideas being proposed by all manner of people, not just by those involved directly in the business. I had this discussion with a potential client just last night. Often all the ideas seem great, but the problem is that they distract you from the goal that you really should be focusing on. And if you're going to consider all these other ideas, you should prioritise them and review them in order at a later time. Initial, you should, you know, when you start, you should be very open with people about your products. This doesn't mean don't protect them and your IP as much as possible and get potential clients and investors to sign NDAs. But many of the companies that come for come to me for exist for assistance, they cloak their products in so much secrecy that getting involved is just too difficult. And even if your product is technology-driven, you need to have a very human side. Over the last few weeks, I've been saying how important it is for entrepreneurs to understand the decision-making process of the brain in order to realise that every decision is made, even technological ones, emotionally. Therefore, every business must focus on its human skills, primarily communication. Most of today's entrepreneurs devalue social skills and human relationships, which ends up resulting in their own demise. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions, email me at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're pleased to have been bringing you this show since 2011. It's a heap of fun. And I'll be with you again at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, to address the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time.
I'm Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.